Hello and welcome to Please Watch This, a podcast where two film movie mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to one another so they can once and for all decide the ultimate question, who has better taste? My name is Hugh Dempsey. Joining me as always is Sam Blakely. Hello, Sam. How's your ultimate Ahoy taste there, Ahoy there, Hugh. Ahoy, yeah. rub a <laughs> how, how, how are you getting on? Not too bad, not too bad. Um, I don't think there's actually literally anything to report. No, you're just chugging away. Just chugging away, just doing the thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now officially in summer holidays, I suppose that's a big <laughs> thing to report. I went, I went to the went to the pub for the first time in four or five months and you, made the most of it. You went to the pub? Wow, look at you, you show yeah. What was that like? Yeah, home by midnight, but I was up, up and vomiting at three. Uh, it was great. It was really good. Yeah, really good. Um, I've, I've not been myself actually since. The, it was just uh, a sense of normality. Just a bit, not just like the first pint outside a pub uh, with people who aren't people I live with was fabulous. Well, there you go. Something to report then, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. How about yourself? Any anything? Any big news this week? No, nothing. Um, just getting on with it, as you know. Just living life. Good, 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 good content. That good content. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the this is the witty banter part of the show. Yeah, I think you know what. What I'm going to do now is uh, let's move swiftly on. I think what we're going to do just before we jump into today's episode, uh, Sam, I'm just going to give out the email address to, to our fair podcast so people can email Smart. us in if they want to uh, get in Smart. touch with us. You know, and they want to talk about any other films that we're doing today or we've done in the past. So that's please watch this dot pod at gmail dot com. What's the uh, Sam? What's our uh, our presence on social media like? What would it, how can people social media if you want to get in touch with us tell us a little bit about maybe um, your first social experience post lockdown perhaps uh, then our twitter handle is at please watch pod it's also the same on facebook we have a reddit that we don't use so twitter is really where it's at yeah tweet us that's what we want we want tweet at we want, us yeah. yeah we want at please watch pod that's what we want. That's what we want. What we really, really want. Speaking of things that people really, really want, Sam, I really, really want to talk a about this cigar. Week. You want to? No, I want to really talk about this week's film, which is Master and Commander: oh, right. Far Side of the World. Uh, because mm. you know the the Earth is covered in two thirds ocean, so I thought, or sea, so water. So I thought, you know, why <laughs> the not? Oceans are now battlefields. Yeah, why not talk about this uh, this two thousand and three Russell Crowe joint? Eh, I think I think now is the, the uh, is this a is this a colonised title or is it a parenthes- parenthetical? The far no, side of the world is, is that colon it, it is uh, colonated. If that's a word, right? This is this is yeah. That was one of the early adopters of that. I, I feel this is right before. I mean, we discussed off air. This was not long after Pirates of the Caribbean, which obviously took colonising to the uh, to, to almost as extreme as Britain did. <laughs> yeah. What we're going to do is for the audience at home, uh, we're going to play a brief clip from a trailer, and then we'll get back to it. Yeah, let's get you into the mood. Right, lads. Now I know there's not a faint heart among you. And I know you're as anxious as I am to get into close action. But we must bring him right up beside us before we spring this trap. That will test our nerve. And discipline will count just as much as courage. The Acheron is a tough nut to crack. More than twice our guns, more than twice our numbers. And they will sell their lives dearly. They mean to take us as a prize. (laughs) And we are worth more to them undamaged. Their greed will be their downfall. 
England is under threat of invasion. And though we be on the far side of the world, this ship is our home. This ship is England. So it's every hand to his rope or gun, quicks the word and sharps the action. After all, surprise is on our side. <laughs> so there you have it. There's a brief look at today's film uh, in a... Well, it was originally a trailer. Uh, there is the audio format of it. You get the gist of it. They're they're uh, on the far side of the world to them. You know, they're down down on the north <laughs> coast of Brazil, and they're chasing after the French because that's what the British did in eighteen oh five. So, Sam, eighteen fifteen. No, that was uh, Waterloo. This is um, Trafalgar. Well. Yeah. Well, I'll take your word for it. <clears throat> I yep. honestly thought it was eighteen fifteen, but yeah, I'll take your word for yep. it. You are the history man. Eighteen oh five. So um, this film, mistakenly last week, I said that this was uh, filmed by Wolfgang Peterson, which was a big old lie, Sam. I, I lied to you, the listeners. I lied to you. You know what? I mean, you've spent the entire week wiping that egg right off your face, mate. I mean, you know, I feel like I feel like I've let everyone down. You know. <laughs> you know, you're not mad. Unless all yourself. You know, you're all just disappointed. But yeah, so this I was did, actually... I did say, I did say, is that a Joel Silver produced film? No. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, nowhere it near it. Not. Got nowhere near it. So no, you we are, are Egg Brothers. You are miles off. Brothers so. in Egg. You are. So um, Peter Weir, famous for directing The Truman Show, uh, Witness Director... Oh, sorry, Witness, sorry. <laughs> I misread that there. <laughs> Fucking hell. I've not seen it, that's why. Uh, I would good... suggest read your notes first. Yeah, <laughs> there's uh, the great film I like, The Way Back from 2010. Gosh, I can't believe that came out all those years ago. Um, and of course, that great film, Witness Director. Yeah, I mean, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who could forget the Truman Show producer? He also directed great film. Uh, a film I quite like, actually, called Gallipoli. You've ever seen it? I haven't seen it. Really? Oh, it's a good I have film. Not. We he did Dead Poet Society. I'm guessing you've seen that as well. I do like that. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, along with History Boys. That was on hard rotation when I was uh, just about applying to be a teacher. What's that? Master and masturbatory. Yeah, great masturbatory. Aid. Yeah. So it's um, basically this film. So it stars uh, Russell Crowe as Captain Jack Aubrey. Huzzah! And it's got uh, Paul <laughs> Bettany as the Doctor. Uh, James Darcy's like the second or third in command. Um, you've got Billy Boyd, you know, fresh out the Shire as one of the uh, as one of like the deckhand. Yes, oh, is he the other one? Or is he Mary? Pippin, uh, Mer- Mary and Pippin, isn't it? Uh, he oh, God, I is. I think he's Mary. Yeah. Who cares? And yep. David uh, Thurfall, I think is how you pronounce that, who was... Yeah, um, Frank, Frank Gallagher. Yeah, shameless. So, yeah. Also in um, Hot cast. Fuzz, uh, that I, unbeknownst to me until about a week ago when Joe told me, he plays the really bad actor in Hot Fuzz, the kind of older Romeo. Does he now? I've not seen that film in ages. He's very not Frank Gallagher. Right, fair enough. But yeah, he's he's very curt, isn't he, in this? He's uh, the, uh, I don't know what the word for it is, like... Uh, a cook? <laughs> yeah, well, he's obviously the cook. Yeah, he's like the cook. The, <laughs> but he's 
he's you know he doesn't he's got short you know short shrift out of him I would say mm. you know where he's like giving out throw. yeah he's giving out about the uh, them getting some rum or something and he was like oh, I was going to save mm. that for so and so day and he's like just well, he was wine <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> so I'm mean, like um, so yeah so that so this is basically based on a series of novels uh, written by a man called Patrick O'Brien. So apparently these are adaptations. In fact, The Far Side of the World was the name of one of the books. Um, that's where they got the title And did you from. say that it was originally about another war? Yes. So I got it wrong as well. See, look, I'm, I was getting things wrong. Although I was like a scattergun of wrongness. and clarifications. Yeah. Good Lord. So uh, last time I said it was the War of Independence, which was complete falsehood. It was actually... <laughs> so originally it was written about a... British ship hunting down an American ship during the War of 1812, which was a conflict between Britain and America in, not surprisingly, 1812 and 1813, <laughs> um, which basically the American, basically the all that's famous about that war is that the British went down and burnt um, the like the White House or the Capitol building, what was there at the time in Washington DC, and then the. Uh, sorry, the Americans then tried to do or did the same to the Canadians. It was like a bit of a tit for tat thing. I think either the Americans had done it to the Canadians, so the so the British came and did it to them, and then they very signed different a film. Yeah, they signed a peace treaty. It didn't last very long. Not very interesting. This was kind of at the height of you know xenophobia towards the French. I would say this when this was made. I think it's. <laughs> um, I think to change the time period to put it back what, seven years to change it to a French ship, to put it in a more well-known global conflict. I think that's a good idea. I think it makes sense. It gives a more air and mystery, I think, to the, you know, to the Acheron, you know, the Phantom, as it gets called in this film. I think that's a smart idea. But yeah, would you like to know what I like about this film, Sam? I'm I'm absolutely frothing at the gams. You're frothing at the gams? To find out. Okay, yeah. well, when you... After maybe you, it's a lockdown symptom. Yeah, well, maybe when you get back from the doctor, we can talk about it. Um, so, I think it's just a very immersive film that brings the drama of, say, naval life during the Napoleonic period and the sailors on board warships. You know, you feel you feel like you're almost scrubbing the decks yourself. You know, it's almost at times it feels like a documentary. <laughs> you forget it's just a film. <laughs> it's one of those that's very immersive and you see like the lives of the soldiers. Like I read somewhere somebody said that it's it's more of a like an adventure film about the sailors that happen to get into some battles rather than a war film about sailors, if that makes sense. Right, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah like you say, it gets right into the into how they live. It's basically the opening shot is a bunch of what look like swinging testicles, um, and it's just lots of people in hammocks. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> swinging around. Yeah. Um, you get the claustrophobia of this, of these ships as well. Like, you know, it states at the beginning of the film there's 197 people on board this little, little ship. It's not actually a big ship by the uh, standards of the day. Um, 28 guns, I think it says it has, isn't wasn't a great deal in like 1805. So, is this a period of history that um, does this really appeal to this period in history? Um, No, well, I'm not saying it wouldn't appeal. It wouldn't be my forte, as they say. Um, Mm. I know bits and pieces, but I don't think I know more than the average man on the street. If that makes sense, right? Yeah. 
you know, it's all like post-French Revolution, Napoleonic period, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Kind of like modern states as they come into being, you know. These 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 big warships were never were never possible until states were consolidated into unitary mm. beings that collected taxes and were able to produce stuff of this magnitude for, say, a war. You know what I mean? Like, right. like the Roman Empire would have never produced the the um, you know the ships that you get in this in this film. Right, I never really thought about it like that. Well, yeah, and it but it's in, it's impressive that. You know, these ships were built by small countries relatively. You know, when you think Britain's not a massive country like, mm. you know, or polity like the Roman Empire would have been. What else do you like about the film? Um, so I think it's very it's very cinematic. There's some amazing visual sweeping shots uh, of, the, of the ship, you know, that have been done by a helicopter or on a crane. You know, there's a great... There's a really great shot where the the rains come right down on them and uh, basically like Russell Crowe's hanging off the side of the you know the ship it's like you know the glamour shot mm. as it rolls past and you know it's showing him love you know and there's no obvious cut there is there no and they, he's really excited for the adventure and what they're about to do and yeah I think it just it's just a very cinematic experience now, unfortunately, I didn't see this at the cinema. I saw it about like about 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 eight or nine months after it came out. I got it. I rented it out on DVD, and watched it late night one night. But uh, I wish I'd seen it at the uh, cinema. I think it would have been good. Um, I think it's got great tension in it as well. You know, you've got the bit at the beginning with the battle where the Acheron surprises them out of the mist and the fog. And then you've got the chase at the beginning, them trying to get away from the Acheron. Then you've got them trying to chase the Acheron <laughs> when they manage to do like a, you know, when they manage to get in behind her. And um, yeah, that's really good. And they only get scuppered, I think, by the weather, don't they? At that bit. Um, you know, I enjoyed like the bit at the end where there's the, you know, there's the ambush and all that. That's really good. So yeah, there's the, um, and Russell Crowe's good in this film. I mean, look, we could sit here all night and talk about Russell Crowe and some of the things he's maybe done over the years in terms of films he's made, choices he's made. You know, he, he doesn't always come across as the nicest bloke. Um, but there was a period there in like the early two thousands, mid two thousands, where he made some good films. You know, Gladiator, chiefly among them, and in this he's. He's very much the heart of the film, and I think him and Paul Bettany work really well together. Um, I do get the sense that he's fundamentally a decent bloke, uh, but just somebody who's um, just very Australian. But, uh, you know, a, a really heartwarming story was when uh, Sam Burgess, your friend and mine... Well, um, well you went to school, went to Australia to be played for Russell Crowe's, um, you know, South Sydney Rabbitohs. And uh, Sam Burgess's dad had died not long before that, and, and uh, Russell Crowe gave him his dad a posthumous membership, I think, to the club. I think that's right in saying, and it had mm. some very meaningful words written on it that that Sam's never revealed, as far as I'm aware, in interviews. He seems like a a, a guy who's really in touch with his emotions, and maybe that's for good and ill. <laughs> yeah, I mean, apparently during that gesture where he got the posthumous card for his dad there was also always like an empty seat in like the little box that they had that's for him right, yeah. Yeah. I mean so that's yeah. good but then I've heard a story where apparently he was annoyed that 
oh, I can't remember it in detail, but he, he came across as a bit of a narcissist, to be honest. That he was a bit annoyed. With... There was one way was uh, was it that when he wrote a poem for an uh, for an awards ceremony and the, the producer cut it, I think. He, <laughs> there uh, was that. Yeah. With him. I can't remember what it was, but he hired some people to basically say that he'd been a he'd been charitable or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. So you can Google it. You can find out. You know, maybe write in and yeah. tell us. You know, please watch this at dotpod at gmail and let us know what you think. Um, so yeah, so I so I quite like you know Russell Crowe's probably at, you know his his second best I would say in terms of his leading star performance. Um, he bounces well off Paul Bettany. Um, there's a good like little subplot. With I Paul. assume Gladiators first, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Gladiator is awesome. Right, right, just checking. But that, that, maybe that's one thing Gladiator is missing is that he doesn't really have someone to bounce off dialogue wise. There's no one other than maybe um, his ex girlfriend in that. The, the, Commodus's sister, whose name escapes me. Um, so yeah, so I quite like all of that stuff. Uh, I like the little subplot, like with um, the Doctor and the little Lieutenant, or whatever he is. Uh, I don't think he's a Lieutenant. Or Le- lieutenant, I think that's far too high a position for um, <laughs> for an eleven-year-old boy who gets his arm blown off. Um, you know, he's like this Charles Darwin kind of esque figure who's you know, mm. arguing with him, going, you said we'd go to the, you know, he's almost like a petulant child going, oh, you said we'd go to the Galapagos, <laughs> and now you're chasing <laughs> after this uh, ship that you were ordered to fight. Yeah, it's, I think there's a bit of, I think if we go into things you might not like, that stuff seems like a bit of inbuilt sort of fake tension. Like, there's nothing, of course they weren't going to just be like, no, no, it's fine, we stay here, you do what you want, we'll leave that ship to its own devices, because, <laughs> you know, they still are in the Navy, they're still in the the Royal Navy, and they're still fighting a war, essentially, which is interesting. Mm. Um, what else might you, you know, it, it's not, it's not, it, it has, a, I think it's bookended by two brilliant scenes, the two fight scenes are really good. Um, I quite like the bit when they do, like they throw the Acheron off their scent by making a false, a false um, back. That's really cool. Mm. That's really interesting stuff like that. Um, but there's a bit in the middle when they do go to the Galapagos and the Doctor gets shot by accident. I think that bit is probably not the strongest part of the film. But then again, that's why I say it's more like the day in the life, or you know, you see a snippet of adventure to- of adventure with these sailors mm. rather than focus solely on fighting. Um, yeah, do you, think, do you think I liked this film? Are there things that stand out? For, you know, you know me quite well in my taste. Are there specific things that you think I wouldn't take to with this? Film? I don't know. Oh, I think I, I think if you're not engaged with it from the start, and you're not kind of interested, because I think one of its the one feeling I would say, and spoiler alert here, but. I, you know, we are a spoiler podcast, always have been, is I would mm-hmm. say that you only really care about maybe three characters in the entire boat, essentially. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of interesting characters. You might say four at a push. But when, so at the end, when that um, young sailor's killed in the battle, and you're like... Uh, you know, they kind of cut to Paul Bettany holding a young lad and you're like, oh no, has Blondie died? And you're like, oh no, it's his mate who he kind of bantered with a bit. <laughs> and you don't really care mm-hmm. about... Like, I cared more for the sailor who commits suicide. Um, Mr. Right. Hollum. Hollum, yeah, Hollum. Yeah, because at least, you know, he's got, he's got a plot in this film and then it obviously comes to an end. But yeah, so I would say that you might not like that. You might have been a bit bored with it. I think maybe it's it might have done a bit of a Blade Runner on you, this one, where you've gone, mm. 
Well, I like the. I, I think I should like this film, but I'm not overly enamoured by it. And yeah, it's got some good bits in it, but ultimately, I was. I was frosty to it, I suppose maybe it might be a reaction. But you know what, Sam? I think what we'll do is we'll have a wee break and then we'll get your views after that break. How do you th- what do you think about Let's that? Let's get Sam's jams. I'm up yeah. for it. Say, aye, aye, Captain. Uh, no, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> well, that's why Sam's never coming on a boat with me then. <laughs> okay, join us after the break. this so now but actually before we get into what Sam likes and didn't like I would say I wasn't surprised actually Sam when you said you hadn't seen this film because I think it's an unusual film like how often do you see films that are are trying to be like super historically accurate there's a lot of films set in like historical periods but there's a few that are very hyper realistic and for some reason this period the Napoleonic period seems to have quite a lot of films like that. Um, there's a war- film called Waterloo, uh, made by mm. the Russians, I think, in the 70s. That is like meant to be super accurate to what um, to the period. Uh, there's a great YouTube channel called History Buffs, and it's a guy who goes through like loads of films that are meant to be historically accurate, and he grades them on how historically accurate they are, or if they lent. I do like towards. those. I'm I'm a big fan of Dr. Mike and Legal Eagle in those kind of realms of uh, <laughs> yeah, written accuracy of things. So you're right, I mean I mentioned it last week. Um it's it is classic sort of film that I haven't seen and you have. You know, yeah. like it, 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 this sort of film as a poster, as a trailer, doesn't appeal to me at all. I mean, it's like, not small indie, is it? Let's face it. No, and that's not necessarily. And, and they're more likely to be the films that I like that you wouldn't wouldn't have seen, but I wouldn't like. But yeah, I like I like some blockbusters. I like some war films, but things mm. like uh, uh, Tom Hanks's latest film that's come out, Greyhound, just. Uh, that was like I'd rather be watching Rumpole or The Bailey or something it just looks so <laughs> middle of the road really and most of these films do look really Apparently, mediocre in, in trailers I think uh, Tom Hanks actually wrote or helped write the screenplay for that um, and he's a writer he's uh, it's got a book of shots and you know I love Tom Hanks he's great but he's been in a lot of he's very, America's dad you know, like, <laughs> yeah he's, exactly yeah he's, he's, your, he's your nice friendly uncle um, I listened to a interview with him on Dan Carlin's show the other day actually uh, where he talked about Greyhound which I mean I want to see it but well that's yeah. it this is it like there's nothing wrong with those films but they just they never appeal to me in this film for 17 years I'd, I'd put off watching it because it yeah it looks like there's nothing in it for me so it'll be interesting to see so some well, I think, I suppose. Let's have your jam, I guess. You know, is it raspberry, <laughs> so, strawberry? Yeah. That, have we, have I mean, we got marmalade this worse. week? <laughs> <laughs> Lingonberry this week. Um, oh. Changing it up. As we always do then, I'll start with uh, those things I like. I do think, I agree, Russell Crowe was really excellent in this film. Right. And, I, and because he's in a lot of, like... A lot of films that I deem to be quite mediocre, like things that I'm not uh, that, that appeal to me in trailers, sort of things. I'm always uncertain as to what kind of Russell Crowe I'm going to get, but I love him in Nice Guys. Uh, sorry, the good guy. Uh, nice Guys, isn't it? Yeah, the Nice Guys. Yeah, Nice Guys. Um, and he's brilliant in this because he he's got quite a difficult role to play because he's a complicated complicated man that you need to like and respect, but you also need to see Paul Bettany's character's side of things. So mm. he can't be just Captain Fantastic, wonderful, flawless. Um, 
but he's he's great because he's basically when there's a leader in a film you think would I like them to be my leader and I think what they do really well is compare him to Holland assuming he's not very strong willed you know would rather get people to to not dislike him than not have their respect and that was quite interesting as a teacher because I fall all too often on the Holland side of things um, certainly in the early stages of my career as probably most people do you know try and try to be their friends and Try not to get them to dislike me. <laughs> Why did you, else. did you get caught singing one day? <laughs> like <laughs> uh, nothing like that. Just you know, little things. Oh, you're not you're not disciplined enough. You you feel awkward giving out detentions and that sort of thing because yeah. you think, well, they'll they'll like me more in the moment. But actually, it never pays off uh, long term. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's a he's a you know he's a daring do kind of yeah. I suppose you've hit, the, you've hit the nail on the head there. This is a this is actually more a portrait of a film of a leader, isn't it? It's you know it's like your patterns and MacArthur kind of centered films. I think yeah. Is well, it a film well, about having his sort of MacArthur. Uh, I don't know. I, know. I know there's a film called Pattern, isn't there? That's yeah. That was made yeah. in the seventies. I'm sure there's a film. I can't remember. I'm sure there's a film that has um, General MacArthur in it as well, where he like leaves the oh, Philippines but certainly. and then he but comes back. But it's really back. not the sort of film that would have appealed to me. And 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 it, yeah, it's about leadership because you know there's a few great lines he talks about. You know. Men need governance. They they need to be, and and I, he's right. Like you know that that sort of tinderbox of a place you're going to be on a ship for months and months on end. You you can't have insubordination. You can't have disobedience. And so I thought it was really great when he saw Holland being disrespected and and the things that came out of that because you extreme know, and, and reaction though to have a man lashed. Yeah, that, that, but I mean, he knows that he knows that, you know that. They're not getting the food that they want. They're not getting the alcohol that they want. They're they're failing their mission. People are dying. So yeah, he know, he knows that you know. There's no HR team there or anything like that. He just has to have a really firm, <laughs> yeah yeah. Firm I was thinking no one's no one's um, having a, a monthly review, are they? <laughs> no. Yeah, he, he needs. So to be, uh, um, this month didn't go well. Yeah. You got uh, you got ten lashes uh, for disrespect. <laughs> um, what are we going to do next? Different next month? Do we think? Exactly. How can we improve? <laughs> He needs to be the guy with just the biggest pair of testicles on the ship, and he needs to go around <laughs> swinging them about, and 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 he does it really well. He somehow pulls off a blonde ponytail, which I never thought um, <laughs> I'd imagine Russell Crowe could do. He's a handsome man, but it's not his look. But he, you know, no. he does, does, he's does well rough with around it. the edges, he's, isn't he? More than yeah, you know, cute dandy, nineteenth-century <laughs> dandy boy. Yeah, I see. I see yeah. your point. So you liked Russell Crowe in this kinda, He's he's really good and, and like I say he's got a lot to do because it's a complicated character, but he does it well because he's got heart as well. You know, I think one, just... I think that one good thing to contrast this because inevitably, like I mentioned earlier, Gladiator, in that he's quite sullen and broody. Where yeah. in this there is actually, you know, he's got to be like chipper and he's got to be enthusiastic and he's got to be sort of more than just you know this brooding, vengeful. You know, he's got to nature. hold court in the officer's mess. You know, yeah. he's got to he's got knee slapping, raucous laughter yeah. sort of uh, sort of thing. He's got to he's got to have an anecdote and a and a, and a wry line. And, and you're right. You know, compared to Gladiator, it's it's a, you know one of the major points I had as well was just just such wonderful dialogue. It's so poetic and. Uh, it's not one of my favourite lines, but just something that struck me as kind of indicative of this when uh, when they're having this discussion about leadership and Paul Bettany's character, what's he called, Doctor? Well, do- the Doctor. Doctor. He says, Ma- "I'm a post-war Martin, authority." Martin. It's like Mote. I can never pronounce it. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. So I just the call doc. it Doctor. Paul Bettany. Do- yeah. um, 
he says, I'm opposed to authority. It is, it is the egg of misery and oppression. And it's that's really beautiful, florid language, you know, just the, just the use of the word egg. You know, it's not like it's the source of, you know, it's really not, it's so not pedestrian, it's so witty. Even, even you know, not necessarily even the, the big, you know, the big bollocks on the on the ship. All, everybody's quite, quite poetic in their dialogue. And I think that, you know, it's, it's easy to overlook that because that must take 10 times longer to write that stuff compared to, you know, you run yeah. your kind of dialogue. I think something that I've noticed doing this podcast that's definitely you can see it now whenever you watch a film is you can see the films that have been adapted from books um the dialogue tends to be a lot better mm. than that yeah, just true. written for the screen um, not always but it seems to be where it's at you know i can see why stanley kubrick took that approach when he made his films so mm. yeah i yeah. think um, and it's a i think they had a wealth of material to go on and it's always interesting like when they do these historical epics is like are they is the dialogue true to life? Is that what people were talking like in the early 19th century? Uh, who's to say? Because written, mm. written word and spoken word are so often two different things. You know, the way you yeah. or I speak on a day-to-day basis is probably nothing like the way we write. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and this um, is always a, tr- this uh, is always a problem. Little things like uh, David... How do you pronounce his name? Threffle? Threlfall? You know, the Frank Gallagher guy. He, yeah. he says... Um, Thrill. What does he say? Threlfall. Which is... Threlfall. Oh, what does he say? He says, like, which... Oh, God. You might have to cut this out, but basically he's, he's, you know, he's saying what the food will be, and he says things like, which it is is mashed potato or something. He's, he's just got a weird set of phrases. And, and, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm not too bothered about whether that's really how they spoke in the same way that I'm not that bothered about... Did Elizabethan people speak like Shakespeare's characters? I'd rather hear Shakespeare's words and it not be like how people spoke at the time. Um, but it does give it a sense of otherworldliness and the past. Because, um, you know, they could be talking like a bunch of modern-day dockers just with slightly older frames <laughs> of reference and it wouldn't be as enjoyable or beautiful. Um, so, I, yeah, the dialogue is, is really great in that sense. Um, I well, did, did you I quite, you know... I've, one film that we've covered in the past was Butch and Sundance hmm. and I think one great thing that came out of that was that the people that were chasing Butch and Sundance were never shown on screen close up it, it's basically this you know they've been chased for an hour or two hours more hmm. and uh, you never see them close up until until they're right there you know you don't even you're not even sure who they are they're wily they're sort of this phantom like you said and I do think that works so well in Butch, and I, uh, and I think it's worked so well in this, especially when it comes to again, spoiler alert, twist, not knowing what the captain looks like on the other ship because that becomes you know significant later on when yeah when he when he tricks his way out of it, uh, leading to the ending. So I thought that was really great because as soon as you as soon as you humanise them, you you give them limitations. So it's better to see that people on the Acheron as being just incredible masters of the sea who could sneak up on you in the mist. Yeah, I think that I think that that, uh, that scene at the beginning does it does register them as a menace, doesn't it? From the start, yeah. you know they're, they're yeah, out yeah. there and they're coming to get you, sort of thing. You know they're, they're coming to invade England, <laughs> even though you know England be on the other side <laughs> of the world, in South so. America. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So yeah. No, there's a lot of great performances as well. You know, I've talked about Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany's great in this. I don't always like Paul Bettany, but um, I thought he was great in this and, and fit. And Lee Ingleby, who's in Holland. <laughs> When when he's when he's about to throw himself overboard um, mm. with the cannonball, he's got this. It, it's so well done because I knew immediately because he played it so well. He he had this look of relief, like 
well, he's decided he's going to kill himself, so he doesn't have to worry about anything, and he's got this, like, beatific face, you know. Were you expecting it? Uh, I, I knew as soon as he went up there, just by the performance, that that's what he was going to do. Um, I didn't necessarily expect it before he went up there. I didn't know if that would be his recourse or if he would. Sometimes what happens in that kind of scenario is the person goes overboard, so somebody disrespects them and they shoot them or something like that. Or, or you know, he, I thought maybe he'd get killed by the by the um, the shipmates, you know. But I, I thought that was a a good way of doing things, and it's got the air of supernatural because when he does that, they get a bit of wind again, and and, and you know, well, maybe he was the Jonah after all. <laughs> Yeah, they play. It's a good. It's a good little B plot in the film, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it's probably str- subjective. It's probably str- I would say it's probably stronger than the Paul Bettany, uh, young lad, like young naturalist sort of fighting yeah. naturalist plot line. It's it's nice in the, at the time, but I don't think it's it's not fun, is it? This, no, I think it's a, it's a criticism, and a, a strength and a weakness of this film that that naturalist side plot because. There's a moment where, you know, on the Kermode and Mayer show, they talk about the uh, chubby hmm. moment. Uh, like in The Carpenters, somebody says, oh, you look quite chubby, uh, to Karen Carpenter, who later goes on to die of an eating disorder. Um, and she goes, chubby, hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, because it's a biopic and it's about real things, you have to have the person, like, foreshadowing something that happens later on. You know, that, that, sort, of, that sort of moment. Yeah. Um, so I thought, oh, is this going to be? Is it going to be revealed that he's Charles Darwin, or it's going to be like, you know, he'll, he'll sign his name, but it's going to be somebody else who's a famous naturalist? I, I love. I'm a big fan of all that, but I don't know many of the names of the people in that uh, on those expeditions. Um, yeah. But no, I was fascinated by that. I do like. Uh, I'm into into that sort of subject matter, but I much preferred the conflicts there between Paul Bettany and, and Russell Crowe's characters as opposed to Paul Bettany and, and the young naturalist. That was less less interesting, I think, to me. Yeah. But yeah, no, certainly that, the criticism of that part is that I think I think the film is too long, but it doesn't mean that all the parts aren't good. I just think that there is a tighter version of this film that cuts out a lot of that naturalism stuff, but keeps the, keeps the core of it. The core of it is that Paul Bettany is basically a pacifist who sees this great opportunity. Russell Crowe is a complicated leader who's got compassion enough to to cede to his to his, you know, wanting to go to Guys Islands. Yeah, exactly. And knowing what and would be best for him. When he's seemingly about to die. Yeah, he's he's happy to take him there. So I think it could have you know, forty minutes probably could have been cut out of this film without it being any worse and quite possibly better really. But those forty minutes weren't bad minutes. They sort of just don't quite fit in you know they, they, they could have been cut there was about 35 minutes cut out as well you can find the uh, deleted right? scenes on YouTube I was watching a bit of it earlier yeah nothing you know it's a it is quite a long film did, was it too long for you then or was it did you only think it was too long in hindsight when you, after you'd watched it it was it was too long and I felt that watching it I watched it um, yesterday uh, with my partner and she decided to just go when she realised there was another hour and 46 left and I watched it for a bit longer it was getting quite late I realised I needed to be up early so I thought I'll I'll come back to this and I think if it, if it wasn't too long I would have stuck it out first time round but then it was a film that just grew on me and part of that is because I was quite frosted as an idea towards the film you know I was kind of I needed a lot of I, I needed a lot of convincing because of my sort of prejudices about these kind of films okay so what didn't you like about this film then? I think that's a big one. Ultimately, it's a bit too long. I think another thing is that 
some things that took me out was that it became sometimes a bit too cliched and a bit too tropey, like, um, you know, cut to officer's mess, and there's a raucous laughter, and people are slapping their knees, and, oh, huzzah! That, <laughs> those things really took me out, because it is very brutal, and it's a very, in many ways, very real look at what it would, how horrible it would be like to be in those situations. I don't need them to be that sort of obsequious poshos, <laughs> you know, around, <laughs> around the officer's yeah. table. Yeah, I think there is um, there's a very interesting exploration or, you know, subtext of the British class system in this, for sure, because you've got all these, like, men in their 20s and 30s, and then you've got teenage boys who are officers above them, who are yeah. t- telling them what yeah. to do, and, you know, have yeah. rank over them, and, you know, they're not allowed to, like, disrespect these children, essentially, which is... Insane. <laughs> like, could you imagine if you were in a yeah. workplace where a 13 or a 14 or a 16 year old boy had more authority than you? You would just quit immediately. You'd be like, well, it would get to you. But, but we, live in a, we live in a time of greater social mobility. <laughs> These guys, they knew their place from birth, I think, <laughs> you know, the, the, on both sides of the coin. Um, you know, for, for example, there's a, there's a great speech by Russell Crowe's character, uh, uh, Captain Jack, just before they're about to get into the final battle. And then, I can't remember the joke he makes at the end, but he kind of makes a point. And then there's this sort of like, huzzah, laugh. And I thought, actually, the speech was good enough that it could have been a round of applause or like a, yeah, like a chant. But it became it but became like but, an American if, version of having all the turnings. Yeah, but what if that's what people actually said at that time? They were like, huzzah. You know, that's a famous Certainly in a, war chant in the from books, that period. Yeah, in like, you know, Treasure Island. Oh, yeah, I did I get the it. sense that... I did get the sense that it was really... Uh, had a lot of research and work put into it. There's a lot of little bits and flourishes that you go, I can. I feel like that's only put in because they're really, not mm. only put in, but they're, that's put in because they're showing a bit of sense of, you know, the reality of it. And those things appeal to me the least. Like, I really don't like period dramas at all. Um, to the extent that I... Yeah, but most period dramas are Jane Austen interpretations or they're, you know, Charles Dickens. There's very few where it's actually... You know, there's like sharp, and that's about as much as I can think when it comes to this, especially this period. You know, the, you know, no, it's usually uh, about I mean, high society the, and you know, yeah, what's, what's it like? Pole dark, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, the don't thing that I don't often don't like rom- about those things, romantic films and shows. Yeah, and no, things. there's a lot of there's a lot of that that's not for me. But the thing I don't really like about the, oh, the thing that doesn't appeal to me that appeals to a lot of people is. Um, like getting a sense of what it was like at that time in to the extent that I really didn't take to Mad Men because the first two or three episodes it was like oh look they're in a car and they're not wearing a, a, a driving a, a, a seatbelt oh my god and they're, well, oh, sorry they're, they're not wearing a driving thing is that what they're not wearing in? a seatbelt uh, you know <laughs> and uh, or, oh they're smoking in an office oh my god isn't this fantastic <laughs> it's the 1950s and, and that doesn't appeal because I'm like yeah, I know, I know that things change, and that's why. Um, I mean, often you one know. of the criticisms you could say of like a lot of period dramas and then like historical epics is they don't show the brutality of life enough, if that makes sense. Like, mm, I think one of the yeah. few shows that actually got to the, the nook and crannies of like the reality of life, and it still probably was a bit whitewashed, was say, like, did you ever see HBO's Rome? From mid yeah. from two thousand five, yeah. so like yeah, that was a lot more. That was a. I mean, obviously, TV shows have a bit more scope and they can show a bit more than what say you can in two hours. But yeah, that was like a. There's like scenes where, 
you know, there's a slave girl and she's having to carry her, she's carrying a pot of piss. Do you know what I mean? Because right, that's what yeah, people yeah. pick, you know, that's what people had to do when they went to the <laughs> toilet. No, plumbing, yeah. they had, you know, you woke up in the middle of the night, you did a pee, you had to do it in a pot, you know? Oh, straight out of the window. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah no, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, why I still do like that. that. What are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was the first year at uni, that. And, and uh, yeah, there is a sense of, they're showing the kind of horrible squalor of, of the, you know, under deck, what do you call it? Anyway, un, you know, below under, decks, yeah. Below deck. Um, yeah. And, and they're sort of like, you know, the cannon fodder kind of life, life of many of these men. But it also kind of um, cleans that up a bit as well to make it a kind of blockbuster as opposed to a gritty, you know, like... In a world! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything, <laughs> anything else then that you want to talk about about this Just film? a couple of other small things. The the you big battle at the end, there's a lot of lot of great things about that, but one of the things is the ed- editing's so chaotic and they're obviously not wearing uniform that, and their geography's not as well laid out as it could be, so there's so, so many cuts, and it's quite a common problem, that often I didn't even know who was stabbing who like yeah. they set up the black armband thing but that you couldn't even see it in the quick cuts so it's kind of pointless yeah there um, is a bit of um, yeah that, that I would say the editing there is not the best is it I think there's a lot no. there's a lot going for this film and I think I think a lot of the good editing and a lot of the good action shots come from when they're firing at each other like that first shot yeah. at the beginning of the film like I was watching it quite, quite late at night and because uh, it's like a movie, usually you turn the volume up a bit because the audio is not always the best on films. And then all of a sudden, this cannot you hear this you hear this low boom boom, and then all of a sudden, my the audio on my TV seemed to explode as these two cannonballs cut through. <laughs> you know, they um, strafe the deck of this, uh, you know, of the ship as the, of the surprise. So yeah, that was yeah, it was really, it's very thrilling. I thought they were better. They were better as well because the geography is laid out. That it's clear, you know. Where, yeah. Where, I mean, I don't. I don't end. You know where the danger. You, you know. You know where the danger is. Yeah. Sort of thing. You and know the direction. In, in terms yeah. of editing, it's following your line of sight, and you know who's whom. But um, yeah. I mean, that was one of the most dangerous things they could have was when um, a ship fired down the length of another ship because obviously, right. You know, if it's a broadside, as much down. Even though there's more cannonballs going into the ship, they would go in travel. 20 metres or whatever the width of the ship is and they'd be out the other side where this they could straight through the whole entire deck you know and people just had to duck out of the way and I mean (laughs) I mean the one thing that's terrifying about this period that I would say is the cannonballs are fired fired out and would travel at such velocity that you didn't even have to get hit by one for it to kill you what could happen is it could come past you at the side of you miss you by a couple of centimetres and the pressure wave behind it in a oh radius out of the ball out of the cannonball could crush your internal organs. They called it wind That's and ball. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and just the density of the bloody things. Yeah, there is yeah. And, and and it the peril is real, especially because you see people die early on and how how um sort of uh, fantastic the Acheron seems to be. Um but no in in the in the final battle where it's more about shooting and, and stabbing it's all over the place because it's such a confined space and people are attacking from different areas that it's just not as just not you know not many things are as good as Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings that <laughs> but that is as as good as as good as battle scene editing gets to lay out geography let you know who's where and and yeah. follow characters in a logical you know we've got to get to that room 
so let's show them going from that room to that room to that room to, to get to that room. I mean, I and do there wasn't find enough it, of that. I do find in that final battle there is a little hard to believe that suddenly all these French people like got the word out to hide behind cover all like they all seem to hide behind cover all at once and then surprise all play dead <laughs> yeah, yeah they all yeah. they all surprise the um the british all at once and people get like shot in the head and especially like because it's, it's exactly just... the same ploy that the that the english have just done you know yeah. like let's pretend we're not a threat and then we'll be a threat <laughs> yeah so yeah like... i was you know it, it was it was it was an interesting battle and lots to be said and i loved the twist with the the doctor and the and the captain but uh but everyone... and then finally i agree with you i didn't really feel much about much more than three or four characters when he finally gave pullins the pullings the captaincy at the end i was like God, this guy's got nothing to do for about two hours of the film. Why do I care if he's the new captain? Like it's in, yeah. like it's the end of his arc. Like he, if that was Hollum, and because he, he'd proved himself or something, it'd be like, oh, that's that means something. But I couldn't give a shit if Pullings was captain or not of the uh, of the accolade. Yeah, he's a bit dashing, isn't he? Just this posh dashing lieutenant, isn't he? Pullings doesn't yeah, a really great scar, but doesn't really you know, do anything. No, no, and so you know, it's a long film. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want them to extend it to three hours so that I gave a shit about this yeah. one character's arc. I would have liked, yeah. Now you mention it, I would have liked a bit more character development with him. Uh, quite honestly, there might have yeah. been some of the cutscenes. I've not watched them all, so he might have a bit more. But mm. you're pleased for him. I mean, I felt I was pleased for the character. Right, Sam. Let's move on. Let's get this this ship sailing. Yeah. What's your favourite scene in this film? It's one of two, so I'll tell you one and then I'll hear yours and then if it's not, we'll come back. Um, I think my favourite is probably when um, when they're asking Captain Jack about Lord Nelson as a person. <laughs> it's so well done and I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but it it was very obvious that, that, he's, that he's not telling the whole truth and maybe Lord Nelson's not a nice man and all this sort of stuff. But nothing said and no one... It's so subtle and yet hits you so heavy over the head that I don't know how they manage it. It's performance and writing and and, and editing and direction. Mm-hmm. All those things combined to be like just a series of looks and just a case of what he never, what he doesn't say, um, and he's and he's sort of charmingly just bats away these suspicions, but they are right on the table that he was not yeah. a good person. And I don't know Lord Nelson. I don't know if he was famously not a good person, but... I think he cheated was very wife. obvious. Was about, I think that was about it. It seems like it's more than that. <laughs> that he I mean, I never... God. That's interesting. I never got this... Um, I never got that sense that you got when I watched this. I've seen this film a few times now over the years because, you know, it's an old film now. Um, yeah, I never got that sense of anything like that. They were trying to... They weren't being genuine about him, you know. They were all. The, I think what they say is, you know, he's not a great sailor, you know, famous. But I think that was famously that he got seasick or something like that. It's um, one of those where you know when you're off. like, if you if you know someone really well or you're in a relationship with somebody, you know yeah. when something's bugging them because they don't say something. It's kind of like that. It's more about what he doesn't say. Right, fair um, enough. Yeah. So it's like a, really subtle, but also really blatant. It's not my favourite scene, but it is a really good scene. Um, yeah, it's interesting because there's it's like this period is like there's two names, like two or three names that you know, and it's like Napoleon, Wellington, and Nelson. Name me somebody else mm. from that period, and you know I'll, 
I'd be surprised. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you're not going to promise anything there. Um, well, I, I mean, I Jack Aubrey could, but you know, <laughs> from specifically from that period, yeah, it's um, yeah. so they're, they're kind of these Napoleon and Wellington, especially like these spectres over the film. I think you know, in terms of they're the people who are the most famous, especially when you've got a and, and, film and about they, a ship. They revere, <laughs> they revere Lord Nelson so much that Jack Aubrey knows that it's better that they revere this. This myth of the man, rather than him telling them, that, yeah, you know, he shits. <laughs> yeah. Um, what? So he's got the feminine mystique going on. <laughs> um, so the yeah, it's good leadership. It's not to let you men know that you have a shit. <laughs> My favourite scene. Um, it was the the beginning scene. I think it's just really well put together that bit where you like when you're watching you kind of see the 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 ship yourself as well Mm. and you're like what's what's going on there and you know you've got all that little you've got the quick cuts and the build up and then you see Aubrey get his sword and then it shows him yeah you know you see the doctor like you know wondering why they're not firing and all this stuff and yeah it's um I just it's it's got the it's got a bit of the Saving Private Ryan's about it it's got a much better beginning sort of 10-15 minutes than kind of the rest of the film can live up to but I really like the storyline I think the storyline's pretty top notch actually and um yeah I was going to say to you before we move on to the next bit so are you surprised that they didn't make a sequel to this film uh uh, maybe well I guess it depends on how it did financially was it a success um, well it's opening weekend in America it got 25 million dollars but that was on an estimated budget of 150 million dollars so it's a big budget Jeez. film so. according to IMDB it grossed 211 million worldwide all in mm, all which I don't think enough. is enough given that usually the marketing's about you've got to double the budget double. for some reason yeah but, yeah, there's got to be a hard limit on that number, though. I've always thought. Um, you can yeah, have, yeah. If you yeah. if you if it's a five hundred million dollar film, you're not necessarily spending. Yeah, five hundred million on. I think yeah. what would have been cool is if they'd had a sequel where, you know, I've, I've, I've you know I've thought about this many times, but I would have had Master and Commander Trafalgar. That's it. That's what I would have had. Mm. I'd have had them going back to Blighty, and because it's eighteen oh five, you know, they could be in the southern hemisphere in like January, February time, March time. They could get back to yeah. Britain in time for, for, for to set out for, for Trafalgar. You know, it leaves you on a plot. Yeah. You know, it's a it is a cliffhanger with like what have the French got planned on their ship? <laughs> like, have they got? Do they have yeah, like a yeah, yeah. like? Were they just lying for the sake of it, or do they have? Do they know how to <laughs> and, escape and from their own the, brig? Enough of your favourite characters survive, including like the two, the three main ones that they could do a sequel, and oh, yeah. presumably that was part of the part of the you know thinking that maybe we will get a sequel, especially with a colon. You're like, okay, you're asking for a sequel then. Yeah, I mean, you could still do it. I think Russell Crowe's just about. I think it looked very jarring though, because he'd go from being in his like what early forties to being like mid fifties or something, late fifties. Mm. How old is he? How, so we should we see how old Russell Crowe is? Uh, he so this is the film. Yeah. right right at the turn of the century. Yeah, so he's fifty six now. So okay, so he'd been in his mid th- mid late thirties. Yeah, late yeah 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 yeah, yeah just th- about yeah, yeah, forty yeah, basically yeah yeah basically yeah. So. But he still looks very young in this. He's he's gained a bit of weight and stuff now. I think it'd have to be you know the later years or or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose you could still. They could, I think they could do something with it. I don't think it's. Yeah. 
But then I don't know what. Or, or it could be like a story about the, the young lad being. He becomes Charles Darwin, but like 40 years younger <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't know, Sam. I don't think so. <laughs> but um, okay, so what was your favourite line of the film? Um, I think there's lo- there's lo- so many lines that I liked, but the two that stood out for me, as is always the case, are the two that I th- just found funniest. Uh, yeah. There's one that's intentionally funny. There's one that I think that's unintentionally funny. So the, the intentionally funny one is when um, uh, Paul Bettany says to him, "You know, I, I, I'm afraid you've lumped me with a debt I can't repay here. Uh, I'll name, I'll have to name something after you." And, uh, and Jack Aubrey, Russell Crowe says, "Name a shrub after me, something prickly and hard to eradicate," which I think <laughs> just. Just really witty repartee. Um, something that I thought was, <laughs> was unintentionally <laughs> funny. Yeah. <laughs> unintentionally funny, um, just on its ambiguity, was when he's been shot, Paul Bettany, and they've got to get the bullet out to get the bit of T-shirt, his bit of his shirt out, not mm-hmm. T-shirt, um, bit of the fabric out. He says, um, uh, is that all of it? And the guy, you know, the uh, Higgins or something like that, mm. you know, the sort of stand-in doctor, he says, I, sir, meaning, yeah, it's all of it, you're going to be safe. But actually, he then says, she'll patch up nicely. <laughs> like, <laughs> your, your your shirt's going to be fine. <laughs> We're going to save your clothes. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, so, yeah, some British that indifference at its best, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes, it'll be fine. We'll just patch up nicely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're going to live, by the way. Oh, how, how wonderful. Side note. How about your favourite line? My favourite line. So many to choose from. I like the um, I like the bit where Captain Jack asks, where he goes to uh, Paul Bettany. He goes, you know, which weevil would you pick? And he goes yeah. for the larger yeah. weevil. And then Jack just goes, "There, I have you. You're completely dished. Do you not know that in the service?" One must always choose the lesser of two weevils, and the old bear start yeah. laughing. And yeah, I really raucous that. knee slapping, uh, huzzah laughter. But it's a funny. It's a great line. Yeah, but I think it's more—it's more a line for showing that they're having a great time, rather than this is a really funny f- line to the viewer, don't you think? Right, fair enough. I, I mean, I like it. I think it's a good line. It's fun, and I think it's it has good, good it has good overtones later on in the film because they literally do at one point have to choose the lesser of two evils, which is to cut mm. the the um, the mast that's fallen away in the wind, yeah, true, and taking the sailor with them because they because it was like they said it was acting as a sea anchor and it would have dragged the ship down. So you know, it's it's prophetic in a way. And then mm. the other line I like uh, is near the end of the film when he's doing where he's giving a. He's giving a speech before they uh, uh, before they go to into battle, and Cap- mm. again Captain Jack has the best line. He goes, and he's like he's given a bit of a speech, and this is like at the end of it. He goes, England is under threat of invasion, and though we be on the far side of the of the world, uh, this ship is our home. This ship is England, so it's every hand to his rope or gun, quick as the word and sharp as the action. After all, surprise is on our side. <laughs> and that's when they all go huzzah! huzzah! <laughs> yeah. I also like so you're the, a big knee slapping huzzah type. Yeah, <laughs> I do also like the bit where um, is it the marine captain manages to get to rescue all the whalers, and then he just goes, "Do your worst" in a really gravelly voice. <laughs> yeah. I really that's that's real, like um, you know, sort of. I don't know Robinson Crusoe sort of yeah, this period. Yeah, yeah. There's um there's a great show <laughs> called Black Sails actually, which is about um, pirates in the Caribbean <laughs> during oh the, uh, the, the about uh, about oh gosh it'd be about nearly a hundred years set before this, and that's um, yeah that's got some good stuff in it, but it's a bit more a bit more grounded. 
It has boobs and stuff. I like it. So, I like one lineup that's just come to mind was, uh, what is it? Pull like you're pulling a Frenchman off your mother. Oh, I don't remember. Quite early on in the early battle, yeah. <laughs> oh, really? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I missed that one. So, it's yeah. just sort of shouted and it's in the subtitle. Yeah, you might have missed it. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a quick break. And after the break, we're going to find out Sam's rating. We're going to get some critics' response. I'm going to have a quick quiz. So join us after the break. Welcome back. So we're going to start off with what Sam's rating with for sorry what Sam's rating for this film was. So Sam, professional. <laughs> yes. How many knots out of ten would you give this film? To nautical reference. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was conflicted. I, I've gone for seven. I've gone for seven. Just we established last week with Lost Boys that. Six out of ten actually is a good score. Yeah, I was trying. I was trying to set a new. I was. I was trying to set a new baseline. I've. I've had a week to think on that film, and I. I, Do you know what? I enjoyed it more than I realised. Yeah, I think it's. It it didn't quite. I I needed more time on it. I think, Um, Hmm. and because we had a bit of an issue with the editing of last week's episode, I listened to that. um, Don't cry, little sister. Song again. (laughs) Cry, little sister. Yeah. Sorry, cry, little sister. Yeah, and that got me right into it. Going, oh, that film's pretty cool. Yeah, solid. Very evocative that song, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's so eighties. But yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you liked. I'm genuinely glad you liked it. would you recommend it's, this film? It's basically, yeah, I would. It's basically as good as this sort of film gets. Yeah, know? yeah, as I mean, like yeah. A, you know, from, and f- so I think I think I if somebody gave it a nine out of ten, I'd be like, yeah, you're probably right. It's a you know, it's a really good film for for you, but it's not a great film for me. It's a good film for me, you know. I think you make a point of. I think for like. It's like a 10 out of 10 for like historical accuracy and sort of period drama recreation. But mm. there's there's a little bit missing, isn't there? I think even I agree. I well, think. I think for me, for me, it's like it's not it's not as mediocre as I thought. It's wittier. It's more yeah. interesting. The naturalist stuff actually elevated it above a this is a knockabout like macho film, you know. Fair enough. That's good. I like it. Right here. Yeah. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at some critics and we'll see what they thought. So I'm going to start with Peter Bradshaw writing in The Guardian. Uh, just a quick one here. And he just basically said, it may sag a bit in the middle, but we are constructs a thrilling forthright adventure and the realer than real battle effects are simply breathtaking. Uh, and this was, that was written contemporarily back in 2003. So that was before they did a star rating on The Guardian website. Oh, so yeah, so what do you think about that? Just that basically agrees with us, doesn't it? You know, it sags in the mm. middle, but it's really well made and interesting and big. Yeah, and the the the, the, the fighting feels deadly. At no point, mm, yeah. like there's a bit where they open, they open a hatch to go inside the Acheron, and they, mm. there's just two blokes at the bottom of the stairs with um, like a little cannon, and it just they just eviscerate yeah. the people who open the door. You know, three like <laughs> soldiers just get instantly eviscerated essentially yeah you, you want something that like if you stab somebody that could have a real consequence in the same way that Game of Thrones it used to be without spoiling that you know a character might get one little cut 
and it gives them an infection that kills them. Whereas in like season eight, season eight, someone can get stabbed ten times in a fight and they're like sort of basically fine a day later. So they, you mean it they has can, that consequence? They can be being um, overrun by White Walkers and then be fine at the end of the battle. Is what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that bit too. Absolute bullshit. That. So, yeah. would you like to hear from our favourite literary uh, uh, critic? Oh, good old Roger. Yes, yeah, so give it to me. I, I think he's going to give it three out of four. Okay, well, well, you'll find out. Uh, this is a bit longer than the previous quote, so... Uh, Peter mm-hmm. Weir's Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, is an exuberant sea adventure told with uncommon intelligence. We're reminded of well-crafted classics before uh, the soulless age of computerised action. Based on the beloved novels of Patrick O'Brien, it recreates the world of the British Navy circa 1805 with such detail and intensity that the sea battles become stages for personality and character. They're not simply swashbuckling, although they are that too, with a brutal, intimate violence. So, yeah. Okay, so, so it sounds more like 3.5. No, he gave, it, he gave it the big four. Big four, wow! Yeah, big and four I think from he, Big Rog again, he nails it quite honestly. He he says the right thing. It is it it you you don't notice any CGI in this. I'm sure there's plenty no, in it no. because there must be lots. There must be lots of CGI splinters, things like that. I think yeah. they use a lot of CGI for like smashing effects these days, which is quite smart in terms of its actual damage. But oh, yeah. yeah, so I'm glad Ebert liked it. Um, yeah, I think the critics... It always makes whole... you feel validated and vindicated in liking a film when Roger Ebert and Mark Kermode both liked it. Yeah, and I think there's definitely... There's definitely uh, a... You could say that... I don't know, how would you put it? The critics saw it for what it was. It's an attempt at being a realistic kind of study in command of people in a small confined space for you know sometimes <laughs> years on end and how they yeah. deal with the, the politics and the threat and the social structures and yeah it's not stupid you know he calls it uncommon intelligence it's not a stupid film is it I think that's no, exactly one, yeah yeah I think that's one thing I would I would say about this film um, no I agree it's it's more than it's more than it could have been under a different stewardship yeah, but you know, that's enough mucking about. What, what about the thing that we all came here for? The quiz. Let's get on with the quiz, right? Quiz, Let's see how well you are watching Master and Commander. Far side. I don't think I'm going to do well. I'm not going to do well. Okay. Just put that out there. Just pre- you know, prefacing, prefacing with that. So, how many guns does the surprise have? It was. Um, oh, you even said it. I, I think did. it was twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Is that your final answer? Or was it 128? Uh, I'll, I'll, or 58? Uh, 28. I'll say 28. You're going you're gonna to stick with 28. You were correct, yeah? yeah 28. Fantastic. Again, not, not a great deal of guns, actually, by no. that standard of the time. It was. I think this ship was classed as a sloop. It was like a single... And presumably they'd need guns on, the, on both sides, so really you're only like 10 to 14 on the other side? Uh, well, obviously, there's 14 either side, isn't there? Well, unless there's one at the front and one at the back. Potentially, I didn't see one. Yeah, um, yeah. These, I mean, at this point, you were making they were making ships that were like three and four decks high, essentially. Right, um, more guns. Yeah, like three deckers. I think they called them. Um, you can Google it all. It's pretty fascinating. It did make me think if you had one just modern day, modern day state of the art 
a warship, what you could do 200 years ago. The world is yours, basically, because you, they can't set yeah. you on fire. <laughs> like, they're not going to get close Yeah, but this is always the, well, what if the knights had a machine gun argument? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's your least favourite hypothetical, isn't it? They'd kill everybody, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, question two. How many souls are on board this surprise? I think it was 197. I think it was 197. Are you sure? I'm about as sure as I'll ever be. You're right. That is correct. 197. If you Whenever can... I see a number in a film, yeah. I make a mental note. And uh, for a bonus point, how many how many are left after the first encounter with the Acheron? Oh, good question. I I don't know. I mean, quite a few die. Does it say afterwards? Yeah, because he speaks. He goes. Oh, he, he says to uh, he says to the doctor. He asks. He goes. What's oh, the butcher's bill? He does. I, I I don't know. I think. Can you remember 12. how many died? I think they lose nine or twelve or maybe you, twenty-four. I really don't know. I really. To be honest, know. I haven't got this written down, but off off the top of the dome piece, I think it's nine. They lose nine, nine die, and yeah. then I think fourteen are injured or thirty. Could be fourteen wounded and maybe twenty-eight. Maybe could be wrong. Like oh, that. Okay. Like Question three. Let's move moving swiftly on. Where was the Acheron built? Oh, good question. I don't even know when that appeared as a fact. Is that written a written down fact or is that nope. a said? It's a said okay. fact, but it would have been written on your screen when you were watching it with your subbies. <laughs> as I subtitle everything. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, they're the French army, but my like, history knowledge being as it is, I don't know what that extends I mean, to. Yeah, I mean, the French army wouldn't have built it. I'll give you that <laughs> for now. Right. So <laughs> does that French mean it's South America? <laughs> well, no, they say... I'm oh, sorry, no, you know, the French forces, like French or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, the French I can, army. I can, I, can, I can only assume it's in Europe. I, I, don't, I don't think they made it in can South you remember America. This, but... Can you remember the scene where they make the little model and present it to the captain? Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you, okay, um, can you no. remember what... I'm going to... I've got here the city where it was made can can you it's not what, a major city is it but that's the question Sam can you tell me it's like I'm sure it's got a name like Sudbury like Super, it's somewhere in France Sudbury's assume, but, not a city no that's a town you know it's I don't it's know Suffolk. I don't think it's a major city Strasbourg Toulouse I, I don't know <laughs> you can't remember no worries so yeah. it was made in America uh, during the peace time in Boston right okay yeah yeah. There you go. No, I wouldn't have got that. You could have given me ten years. I'd have taken my time. <laughs> it's, that. it's fine. Question four. Um, so, what was the first thing that Nelson said to Captain Jack? Bonus oh, points yeah, for an said, impression. Uh, was it? <laughs> was it? Pass me the salt. Pass me. You know, something in that realm. Ooh, go on. Do you know what? I'll give it to you. You've got the. You've got the. Oh, the, yeah. the nook, nuts and bolts of it, but. Uh, yeah. I'll um, I'll give you the proper the proper quote is Aubrey, may I trouble you for the salt? That's right. <laughs> and then they all guffaw about him saying every oh, time yeah. I try to I try and tell it exactly how it was said. And then finally, question five: uh, What type of bird do they find on the Galapagos Islands? That is flightless. Oh, I was just thinking about this. Oh, it's a cormorant. Cormorant. Com- yeah, cor- uh, cormorant. 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 Yeah, cormorant. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah, on, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So I, was, yeah. I got most of the letters there. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a four out of five with that one. The, oh, uh, very generous. Four you got out the, five. You got, yeah, you got the gist. You got the gist with the uh, 
the uh, Nelson story and um, you got the rest right so well done Sam so yeah that was Super. Master and Commander Far Side of the World unfortunately never got a sequel uh, which is a crying shame um, yet yet you never know I mean it's maybe when the, the big wigs in Hollywood hear this podcast well if we you know as we as they as we know they all listen yeah. statistically yeah. speaking Jerry Brock uh, there's at least a thousand listen. of them that listen yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, annoyingly, you know Harvey Weinstein listens. <laughs> None of the rest. Well, based on that mustache of yours, fuck. <laughs> Although I can see you've got a bit of a beard now going on at the bottom. So that's it's always been there. It's just that the lighting. It, it's just the it's lighting just, on my it camera. It it's not very better. good. Anyway, we should it's probably stop talking about visual things whilst doing an audio podcast. I will but, definitely not upload a picture I mean, to social media. I mean, it's something they could do like a soft reboot on. I guess they could have just get different actors in. You know, it could be a, a sequel. But Get Mel Gibson to do it. Or uh, another, you know, boisterous Australian. Yeah, who Chris would you Hemsworth. Get? Yeah. Liam Hemsworth. He'd be cheaper. Well, I think Chris Hemsworth would be good the in the other Hemsworth. He was. He'd be... fish head. We know he can pull off the long blonde hair. Yeah, I Solid. think it'd be a good role for him and you could get Paul Bettany back because he looks exactly the same 15, 17 years Yeah, and years people will be like, oh, look, it's Vision and Thor. Reunited I can't believe like, how little that man has aged. When you look at him in, say, <laughs> Infinity War and when he's like doing his Vision thing yeah. with like, proper skin. 17 years ago, yeah. And th- in this, they just, give it, they just dye his hair brown because I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing the character has brown hair in books. But yeah, that's Master and Commander. Sam, what are we going to be doing next Wrapped week? Up. What are we going to do next week? We're going to, well, yeah, we're going to, hopefully, I've not had confirmation on this, it's going to be probably uh, The Life Aquatic. Fair What do you know about The Life Aquatic, Hugh? I know that it's got a subtitle called, is it The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, I think is how you pronounce it? Zizou, yeah. It's got Bill Murray in it. He's, I don't know, like a marine biologist who's going out to hunt some sort of animal like under the water preferably probably maybe a fish could be a whale could be a dolphin <laughs> I'm not sure um, it's a comedy I assume because it's got Bill you know William Murray in it <laughs> um, yeah I, 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 I don't really Do you know, know who directs it? it it looks like a Wes Anderson film mm. therefore it? you can probably guess about half the cast Yes, Tilda Swinton will be in there at some point. <laughs> yeah. I imagine. Uh, probably what's her face? Gwyneth Paltrow is probably in it as well. Um, <laughs> is she yeah. in Les Anderson films? She's in the Royal Tenenbaums, isn't she? That oh, that's episode. right, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so look forward to that. I mean, I've literally seen it, I think, maybe twice, but it's, uh, you know, it's a film that well, shows It would have been that. hard to have figuratively seen it. That would have been impressive. Fair, yeah, true, true, true. This this show's all about filling in those gaps that you sort of know that you should have filled in years ago, isn't it? Yeah, I think it came out, I think I was a bit too young for it when it came out. It was about 14, I think, when it came out, so I don't think I was quite in with that sort of quirky humour quite yet when it came to... Yeah, you're not a drama school art type uh, uh, teenager. So, yeah, so we can look forward to that next next week. Now, listener, we really... um, as much as we'd like to hear your views on the show and Master and Commander, really what we want is your views on The Life Aquatic. Where does it rank in Wes Anderson films for you? Is it in the top one? Etc. Uh, if they want to tell us <laughs> the that, The top Hugh, two, etc. <laughs> how might they go about doing that, Hugh, if they so, wanted to tell us? 
what they need to do is they need to join the Royal Navy uh, either as mm. a, an officer but if they're not posh then they'll have to do it as an able seaman um, they'll have to go all the way to Brazil round the Cape of is it Good Hope? What's all the yeah it's the good, Cape of Good Hope is no that's <laughs> no it's because it's the Horn of Africa oh no the Horn of Africa is on the east of Africa that's in Africa I think but it's just yeah. around the Cape <laughs> I think it's just the Cape isn't it it's around South Africa the Cape of Africa <laughs> and then around South Afri- South America it's the Cape of Good Hope I think I could be wrong right. if, but yeah. again if look so essentially get in touch <laughs> yeah get in touch if you're a sailor when you get to the Cape of Good Hope you're like right I'm sick of this I'm in <laughs> yeah. fucking Africa <laughs> if you get if you get Wi-Fi you know let us give us an email yeah. please watch this you told me the hook of pod. Holland <laughs> please watch this <laughs> You put me off with that. He said it was in South America. (laughs) (laughs) Why is there all these windmills? (laughs) I don't even like clogs. Um, So yeah, Yeah. please watch this. Dotpod at gmail.com. Sam, as mentioned earlier, where can they get us on social media? Social media, yeah. Twitter's the main one. Get uh, get to us. Speak at us on Twitter at pleasewatchpod and tell us. Maybe tell us your top five Wes Anderson films. Do what you want. Live your Take life. Your top off. Live your life. Give me so, you know, yeah, send nudes. That's <laughs> <laughs> what Sam's advocating for that. We'll, uh, we'll, I never said take a photo. Yeah, send nudes. <laughs> and next on next week's episode, we'll discuss them. Because we won't post them. We'll discuss them. We'll be like, yeah. be like it'd be uh, nude photography for your ears. <laughs> right, so we're just going to make that lateral step into that. Yeah, I think it's time uh, to go. So I think we've, I think we've. Uh, it was five on. minutes ago. So, listeners, we love you, and we'll speak we to you next you. week. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.